Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 8, 11 to 22 and Isaiah 9, 1 to 14. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. It did not fear what they fear, nor dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offence, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire of the meat and the necromancers who chirp and mutters. Shall not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to, his, to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly depressed and hungry. And when they are hungry... They will be enraged and speak contemptuously their king and their God and turn their faces up and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and dust, the gloom of anger, and they will be thrusted thick darkness. Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in the former, in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zabalin, and the land of Nephtali, but in their latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has you have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad to divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as one the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. For us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of the increase of his government and of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord has sent a word against it, and it will, be, and it will fall on Israel. And all the people, uh, all the people will know, Ephraim 
and the inhabitants of Samaria will say in pride and in, ang in, in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we'll put cedar in its place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin and stir up his enemies, the Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west, devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger has turned away and his hands stretched, stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and palm branch in one day. Thank you, Wilson. Some of you may notice this morning that a fairly tall pastor is missing from our church. Uh, pastor Eric is um, doing a pulpit swap with another church today. And so he's at Emmanuel English Church in Kowloon, and he'll be preaching there today. Um, in exchange, we, I have the honor of uh, introducing our guest pastor today, who is uh, the pastor of Emmanuel English Church, uh, Pastor Evangel. Uh, pastor Evangel has been to this church once before, and he's preached online when we had our Zoom um, meetings earlier this year as well. Um, pastor Evangel is the father of, oh, he's a husband to a wife named Evelyn, and he has a one-and-a-half-year-old son uh, named Emery, and we're very honored to have him here um, uh, join us this morning. Let's put our hands together and just warmly welcome him this morning. Well, good morning, church. Uh, it's so great to be with you again. The last time it was all online, so it was hard to see your faces, so now I'm starting to, like, recognize your faces, and hopefully we'll be able to take the masks off soon so I can actually really get to see your faces. Um, I heard from Pastor Eric that last week uh, you finished your Through the Bible series, and I think that's so amazing that you guys were able to spend a whole year uh, in the Bible. And uh, as you might have guessed, you know, we are, you, you guys are starting your Christmas Advent series uh, this week, and I'm, I'm happy uh, to be able to, 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 to do, do that, start that with you guys. Um, so uh, Pastor Eric and I decided to do like a joint Christmas series uh, in, in the book of Isaiah, now, the book of Isaiah contains some of the most detailed prophecies about Jesus' birth. And the one that we just read is, um, well, well that, that middle section that talks about, you know, for unto us a child is born is probably what you're most familiar with. You know, churches read about it, uh, you know, every Christmas time. Uh, what you may not be as familiar with are, are the passages like before and afterwards, uh, which, which are, are quite confusing, right? It's like a lot of bad stuff. Uh, this, this son is born and then more, more bad stuff. Uh, so today, today, I want us to um, be able to break down God's word more and to really understand what this prophecy has to, has to say to us um, as we uh, start our Advent season. So let's pray and just ask the Holy Spirit for understanding. Lord Jesus, you are, you are the king of the universe, and we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. And, and we need you, Lord. We need you to speak to us. We need you to give us understanding um, your, your word is a, a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. We need your word for guidance uh, today and for the rest of our lives. And we just pray that as we, as we read your word, as we try to understand it, that you would give us understanding, that you would reveal more of who you are to us. Yeah, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, so to start us off today, I thought uh, we could uh, think about a, a hypothetical scenario. All right, so, so part of the scenario is that you have the freedom to 
change your citizenship to any country in the world, right? Any country, you can change your citizenship right here, right now. Now, now to make the situation a bit more challenging, all right, um, World War III is about to break out in like a month, all right? So you, you have a month to change your citizenship, and after the war breaks out, though, you're, you're sort of stuck in that country uh, where you chose to move and, and to relocate. And the question I want to ask you is, which country would you decide to go to? Which country would you decide to go to? Uh, you'd probably have to think of a lot of different uh, factors. Uh, one of them, right, if you're to be really serious about this decision, is um, you know, the relationships and, and alliances, not just with your country, but with the countries around the country that you decide to be a part of. Um, so in today's world, you'd have to think about you know, relationships like the, you know, the European Union, uh, we have the G7, some of the bigger countries like China and Russia and all the countries that are affiliated with them. If there, if there really was a world war breaking out, you'd have to take into consideration all of these factors before you make your choice. And it would get really like, political, very complicated. And at the, end of the, at the end of the day, you would have to make a, like a calculated risk about who to trust. And, and this type of situation is is very similar to what the Israelites were, were facing in, in the passage that we just read today. See, a power struggle was breaking out in the ancient world, alliances were forming, and they had to decide who they were going to align themselves with. Now, one of the alliances was, was with a country called Aram, and this is the country where the northern kingdom of Israel, they aligned themselves with. And the southern country of Judah was threatened to join this alliance with Aram and with, with the northern country of Israel. They had to decide whether to go with them or to go with this other country called Assyria instead. And you can imagine how divisive this, is, this decision must have been for the Israelites. You know, they, they were making a, a, a Brexit-like decision for the country, essentially, a Brexit-like decision. We know how that has divided that country. They were deciding who to depend on for their future well-being. And ultimately, they were deciding which king they would trust. The war had started. They were running out of time. And in the midst of all of this political controversy and pressure, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to these Israelites in chapter 8, verses 11 to 12. He says this, God's hand is upon Isaiah. And he says to them, do not call conspiracy all that the people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. God was saying to the Israelites, don't get caught up in spending all of your effort and energy to find security and safety by making alliances with other nations. Don't make an alliance with any nation. Put your hope in me, honor me, fear me, trust in me, wait for me to help you. You know, don't call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. You know, the word conspiracy in, in verse 12 refers to the different uh, plans and alliances that the countries and people around the world were making, you know, both public and, you know, behind the doors. They're making these alliances, trying to, you know, get power, trying to get security and safety for themselves. Uh, and the Israelites were caught up in this, you know, talking to different sides, scheming, planning who to join, trying to get the best results for themselves, trying to sway their political leaders to make the decision that they felt was best. And God says to them, just forget that. They, they can't help you. Put your hope in me. Trust in me. And, and, and practically speaking, what God was saying, what Isaiah was saying, was, was the most ridiculous choice to make. 
right? Because not choosing a side would mean certain defeat from either Aram or Assyria. You know, realistically, if you choose a side, you have like a 50-50 chance of at least you know, making it on the winning side. But choosing no side, you're going to be defeated for sure. You know, how could they trust nothing but an invisible God? And it's here that, that Isaiah prophesies to, to counter all of the doubts and fears of God's people. And what, and what God was saying to them thousands of years ago is the same thing that he wants to say to the church today. This is the main point for this morning. Hope in King Jesus saves from the despair and fear of trusting human power. Hope in King Jesus saves from the fear and despair of trusting human power. See, instead of putting their trust in the kings or the powers of the time, the Israelites were told to put their trust in a future king. And Isaiah didn't reveal you know, that Jesus was the name of this king, but he does reveal the other names of Jesus. You know, he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the, the, the prince of peace. The Israelites were called to trust in this king. That was God's answer to them. And trusting this king was the same as trusting God. The Israelites were also warned of the consequences of not trusting God and entrusting human powers instead. And this whole Bible passage compares and contrasts those who trust God and those who don't and what happens to them and what their experience of life is. So that's what we're going to go through today. We're going to spend some time looking at um, those who don't trust God in this passage, what happens, and, and those who do trust God and what happens, and, and how God wants us, through these warnings and through these encouragements, to have that response of trust in Jesus. All right. Hope in King Jesus saves from the fear and despair of trusting human power. And, and the first thing I want us to think about this morning is that when we hope in Jesus, we're freed from the anxieties of human power struggles. See, the whole country was, was living in fear in verse 12. And God is calling them, do not fear what everyone else fears. And they're living in fear because of the uncertainty of their political situation. You know, even though they had decided to trust a certain human power, like, like Assyria, they weren't sure if it was the right choice. It, it, it was still a gamble. And it was just very uncertain. Just like every day after day, like, are they going to win? Are they going to win? Are they going to like, actually you know, fulfill the promise to us? <clears throat> They couldn't have certainty for security, and that's why they lived in fear. In contrast, God says to Isaiah, don't be scared over what everyone's scared of. Fear God. He's the Holy One. He's different than any human power. He doesn't use his power for evil. He's different than other people. He's truly reliable. He's a sanctuary to those who trust in him. And the sanctuary was a place of safety and security where, where people could dwell in God's presence. And God's promise to those who trust in him is that his presence will always be with them. See, in the midst of a country living in fear and anxiety, there were a group of people who lived without this fear. Chapter 8, verse 16 tells us there were Israelites who listened to God's teaching through Isaiah. The, these were the disciples, right? He says, seal, seal this teaching among my disciples. And these are the ones who continue to hope in God. And though the situation around them was, was falling apart and becoming more unstable, God was their sanctuary. God was their peace. His presence was with them. They didn't fear what everyone else in the world feared. And in contrast to these people who trusted God, there were those who didn't trust God, who decided to trust in a human power. 
And we see that trust in human power leads to fearful, desperate living. That, that, that's our next point. Trust in human power leads to fearful, desperate living. See, in the midst of this war that was coming out, people were seeking answers, like what's going to be the result? Who, who's going to win? Um, they, but with, they actually refused to go to God for answers. God actually gave them the answer, but they didn't like that answer. So in verse in chapter, 18, in chapter 8, verse 19, they decided to inquire of other people to give them the answers that they wanted to hear. These people called mediums are, are who the Israelites went to. And they went to other spirits, they, they wanted to consult the dead, other religions, to, to ask what the future would hold. But these places didn't have the answers that they truly needed, that they have no, no, no dawn, no light. You know, they were left in darkness, and, and the end result of trusting in what these other people said was disastrous. You know, there's a prophecy about what's going to happen. They're, they're being warned in, 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 in verse 8, 20 to, to 23, that they're going to be left distressed and hungry. They're going to find themselves desperate, trying to live through each day. Their minds are consumed with survival. And when, when people are desperate, they act in very scary ways. Probably seen those videos, you know, grocery stores during COVID. People are just fighting each other, like trying to get food, trying to get that sense of security in their life. And at the very end, when, when you put your trust in a human power, you don't you don't see any hope in the world. You don't see hope for yourself. You you sort of look, and all you see is darkness. Like things aren't going to get better. This was a prophecy for the Israelites. It hadn't happened for them, but for us, we can look back, and we can see that actually it actually happened. What ended up happening was um, <clears throat> the Assyrians came in, betrayed the Israelites who trusted them, and they lived in darkness. They were under siege for weeks, and they were desperately trying to survive. It got so bad that in Lamentations 2.20, they ended up eating their children to survive. That's how, that's how desperate it was. That's how dark their situation was. It, it really happened. You know, trust in human power leads to fearful, desperate leading. Not only that, it, it gets worse. Trust in human power, it actually turns your heart against God. That's the next point. Trust in power, human power turns your heart against God. If you look at chapter 8, verse 21, it tells us that the unbelieving Israelites experienced everything that God said. And instead of being like, God, you were right. You, told, you warned us this was going to happen. You warned us that if we trusted in Assyria, they would attack us and we would you know, live in darkness. Instead of admitting they were wrong, instead of repenting, they did the opposite. They got angry at God. They started to blame him. God, you're horrible. God, you're evil. God, you're wicked. You let all these things happen to us. They, they became enraged and contemptuously spoke against their God. Now just think about them, this for a second. God had warned the Israelites, if you trust this people, like, if you trust Assyria, you're going to be defeated. Don't trust them. Trust me. I'm going to keep you safe. He gave them all the details of what was going to happen. So when it did happen, they had a chance to respond rightly to him. Instead of saying thank you for the warning... Um, they blamed God for what happened. And not only did they blame God, they continued to trust their own strength and power. See, if you look at chapter 9, verses 8 to 10, you know, God just gives them this prophecy of a king who's going to come and save them. And what's the response to that prophecy? The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel, and all the people will know. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will rebuild. Ultimately, they're saying, you know, they, were, they actually had been defeated once, and they're like, no, 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 we, we can still win. 
we're just going to rebuild and continue to fight back against our oppressors. And, and God was saying, no, I've already told you that you're not going to be able to win. You need to trust in me. But see, the, the heart of the Israelites were, were, so, were so hardened that they just continued to, to turn their hearts against God, to, to do what they want, to trust in their own strength. And in the end, they were defeated. And that's the next point. You know, trust in human power ends in failure and defeat. You know, when you read this last part of chapter 9, uh, it says in, in verse 13, the people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. I want you guys to think about how this relates to you. Okay? Where do you look for to find the answers about what's going on in the world? No, what person or, or what group of people do you need to hear from before you're willing to consider something as true and plausible? You know, your, your answer to these, to these questions is an indication of, of where your trust is. What you trust is an indication of your heart condition. And, and since you're here at a church gathering on, on a Sunday morning, I, I'm pretty sure you're not going out consulting, you know, mediums and fortune tellers on Temple Street. <laughs> That's probably out of the question for you. But are there, perhaps, other sources you trust more than God's word to find the answers and solutions about what's going on in the world today? And this can mean different things for different people. For each of you, it will be different. You know, you might put a lot of trust in the latest scientific research and data, you know, logging on to the latest scientific journals. It's probably more, you know, more, all the more true with all the constant changes of the pandemic going on. You might rely a lot on what you know, family members or close friends say to you. You might you know, put a lot of trust in the decisions that, 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 that a certain government makes. You might look to individual politicians, doctors, uh, you know, YouTubers, actors, authors, certain news channels or journalists that, that you find are, are trustworthy. Or, or maybe you don't trust what anybody tells you. No, you only trust in what you can personally confirm for yourself. But, but here's the thing, whether you decide to listen to a group of researchers, your family, the news, or yourself, you're still putting your trust in people. You're still looking to people for answers, people who are sinful and perfect, who make mistakes. You know, people can say things that are right, but they will most certainly get a lot of things wrong. You know, we live in a time and a world that's full of uncertainty, a world that's looking for answers and who find answers in all the wrong places. You know, the amount of fake news and disinformation about COVID and about politics has greatly increased in the past couple of years. And its effects are seen in societies that are divided with very different views about what's true and right. You know, many groups of people are convinced like they're right, they have the truth. But all the division shows that we actually don't know what's what. You know, we're all living in darkness. You know, and it's easy and tempting for a Christian to get caught up in all of it. You know, to go around looking for answers in the places everyone else is instead of looking to God's word. Here's what God has to say to us in chapter 8, verse 20. Consult God's teaching and testimony. You know, to the testimony. This points to God's word. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Only God's word can be fully trusted. Only his word are dawn. All, all other words have no light. And believers must live holding loosely to the things that God's word doesn't talk about and holding fast to the things that God's word does explicitly say. That means focusing on those things. 
Now, God's word gives us the answers we need to trust him for our spiritual well-being and ultimate good. Now, if your trust isn't solely and ultimately in God's word, if, if it's like the Bible and then like some, but if someone says this and the Bible's not you know, confirming it, then I don't know, maybe I listen to this, this source more than, more than the Bible, then, then, then you're in spiritual danger. Because what you're doing is you're trusting in human power and authority more than in God's power and authority. And if you're not careful, you might actually find yourself turning against God than living for him. Not to trust God is to call him a liar, to disbelieve that he's good, and to make him your enemy. So trust in human power, fearful, desperate living, turns your heart against God, it ends in defeat and failure. In contrast, hope in Jesus, it frees us from the anxieties of human power struggles. And it also brings joy at, God, at what God will do. And this is where we get to the good news, you know, the, part, you know, the passage that we're more familiar with, chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. There's a, there's a sudden reversal. Like, end of chapter 8, darkness. Beginning of chapter 9, no more gloom, but gladness and joy. No more darkness, but light. You know, people have walked, they've seen a great light. All of this hopeful imagery. And here God starts to reveal to us his plan for, of salvation. You know, I grew up in, in Toronto, Canada, and one of the tourist destinations um, is like this uh, cave formation. It's called the Warsaw Caves. It's, it's very popular. If you're ever in Toronto, you should check it out. These are these massive underground caves that you can actually go exploring in. You can climb in. Uh, it's very fun. It can also be very scary and, and dangerous. And things start to get scary at the point where you get deep enough in the cave so that you can no longer see the light at the entrance of the tunnel. And you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I remember one time I was hiking through these caves. You, literally, you have to hike because it's like a mountain inside of it. Like it's an indoor mountain type of thing, right? And I dropped my flashlight and everything went, went pitch black. And in that moment, like, I was so paralyzed because it's, it's quite dangerous. There's holes everywhere. I couldn't see anything. I had to like, feel my way for, for a light. See, this prophecy in chapter 9 is like a light that pierces through the end of a, a long, dark cave. No, it tells us that the ending, the end is not darkness. The end is light. It's joy and gladness. It allows us to walk through our current circumstances of darkness, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. The Israelites in Isaiah's time could only trust the words of a prophecy. But as Christians, as believers today, we get the blessing of being able to see this start to be fulfilled. See, Jesus' birth in the world was the sure, visible appearance of light and hope. No, we, we, we can look back on verse 6 and say a child has been born, a, a son has been given. No, we have assurance that hope in Jesus will end with life in God's eternal, peaceful, and thrilling rule. That's, that's our last point. We can just get those slides up. And as this ruler, you know, there are a couple things that we know about Jesus. You know, these titles that we've been talking about, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I just want us to think about what Jesus' rule is going to be like for a couple minutes. You know, first, he, he's the wonderful counselor. The word wonderful uh, it means miraculous and, and, and extraordinary. It means that Jesus will make decisions with supernatural understanding and knowledge. You know, each decision that Jesus makes as king is perfect. There is no better decision. Everything is perfectly calculated. All the factors uh, put into place. He is the wonderful counselor. No, 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 no matter how good a political leader is, they're going to make mistakes. 
know, in the past two years, many government leaders around the world have made many apologies due to the poor decisions that they've ended up making. And as those under their authority, uh, we have to suffer the effects of these bad decisions. But it's, it's so good to know that there's going to be a time where we don't have to suffer under the poor decisions of an imperfect leader. You know, as a pastor, I'm imperfect. Pastor Eric is imperfect. We're going to make poor decisions, and I'm sorry, you're going to have to suffer. <laughs> but by God's grace, Jesus is the one that's leading us. And we can look forward to a day when he's going to be the wonderful counselor. And not only is he going to make the perfect decisions, he's going to be able to carry it out because he's the mighty God. There's nothing that Jesus is not powerful enough to accomplish, no task too hard for him. He is God himself who has the strength to resolve the most challenging situations. Now, Jesus rules with absolute power. There is no other power that can defeat him. And this is good news because it means we can trust that Jesus' rule will be stable. You know, nothing will be able to come and, and overturn it. You know, some of the most devastating things that have happened in the past two years is the overturning of governments. You know, I think about uh, Myanmar, I think about Afghanistan, and just think about like, when, when a whole government is overturned, just how much chaos that causes for the people in that country. So much unrest, so much disorder. But this is not the case with the government ruled by Jesus. There's no fear of his rule being overturned. He is the mighty God. And this leads us to Jesus' next name. He's the everlasting father. And this name tells us two things. First, Jesus' rule will last forever. It will never come to an end because Jesus himself is, is everlasting. He is eternal. Second, the nature of Jesus' rule will be as a father to his children. Jesus rules with fatherly love. Each person in Jesus' kingdom is his child. His whole kingdom is his family. He cares for each of you with the heart of a father. You're each of his citizens. He protects and seeks the well-being without favoritism of each person. L let me ask a trivia question. All right. Which country has the most famous continuous monarchy still in existence today? I heard England. England, England is, is the right answer, the most famous, most continuous. Definitely the most famous... Uh, it's been established for more than a thousand years. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II is the direct descendant of the first King William the Conqueror. Now, now, the, now the Queen, we know, doesn't have official political power anymore, but she still holds a lot of power and social influence. You know, people all over the world listen to what the Queen says. They have seats in the UN for the royal family. Governments all over the world pay respects to her. You know, the queen and the royal family are some of the most famous celebrities in the world. And there are people who are, like, obsessed with following them. Like, really obsessed. You know, there's a hit TV show about them. You might have watched it. And one of the reasons for the royal family's power and influence is due to the longevity of their existence. You know, they're this institution that has lasted for centuries. They're a symbol of stability throughout the unstable events of history. It gives people a sense of security, you know, someone to look to for leadership when everything else is falling apart. And this is especially true for the Queen, who's been with the UK you know, throughout the World War and now throughout COVID. Now, one day, the Queen's going to die. There's actually a plan put in place for what's going to happen after she dies. And a lot of people are going to be crushed. But this isn't true. 
This isn't true with Jesus. His rule has no end. It's going to last for millennia and millennia. Jesus will, will reign forever as our everlasting Father for all of eternity. And he's going to establish peace, true peace. You know, the world has never known true peace since the Garden of Eden and when we fell. You know, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. You know, what we have here in Hong Kong isn't peace, just having no fighting or no, no war. Peace is the presence of everything that is good and loving, this state of perfection and wholeness that God originally created the world to have. You know, every nation in existence has a history of darkness and, and problems up to the present day. You know, I, I have a lot of local Hong Kongers in my congregation, and, and there's like the top three countries they want to move to. Uh, number one is like, no, 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 there's like, Number one is maybe like the UK because they can get there easier. And then there's like Australia and there's like Canada. Like number two, uh, close number twos or, or threes. And I keep telling them like, yeah, it could be better in some of aspects. But, you know, Canada just past two years had this whole thing where like this whole like genocide of like Aboriginal children just came up in the history and the whole country is in, in, in mourning right now. You know, there's no country that's truly at peace or truly that paradise that we're, that we're looking for. Hope in King Jesus saves from despair and fear of trusting in human power. I just want to end off with you thinking about where your hope is this morning. Who is your hope in this morning? What gives you hope and stability for the future? Is it Jesus or is it in a human power? And if you're not sure, you can ask yourself this. You know, which verses in this passage describe how you feel about life? That's a good indication of where your hope is. You know, are you living with fear and anxiety or for all the things that are happening in the world? Do you feel angry at God for the things that are happening? You know, does, does the future look hopeless and dark to you? Or are you feeling at peace and joy when you're reminded of all the things that God has done and will do for you in Jesus? You know, can you see that light at the end of the tunnel? The good news that we celebrate at Christmas is that the King has come. Well, when the angels came, they, they announced peace on earth, goodwill to men, and, and fear not. And what's amazing about being Christians is that we get to know our king. You know, our king came to earth. He lived a life. We can see how he acted, how his kingship's going to be like. Well, while he was on earth, he, he served the world with compassion, you know, healing, forgiveness, a love so great that he sacrificed himself on the cross for his people. This is the Jesus who is going to reign. This is what's still to come in, in those verses in, in, in 6 and 7. This is the Jesus who is with us now through the Holy Spirit. He walks with you. You can know your king here and now. He's walking with you through the darkness. He's your sanctuary in these dark times. And when we have hope in that, we can celebrate more and more the hope that we have during Christmas. So Bridge Church, as you celebrate Christmas this year, you know, start with repentance. Repent from all the other things and people you've been placing your hope in. Uh, perhaps the money you have in your bank account or that second or third passport that you hold, that family member or that connection you had, those things are going to let you down in the end. Hope in Christ and rejoice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just so excited for your kingdom. I pray that you just help us to understand more and more how great that is this Christmas season, that you, 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 you've been born and we're, we're waiting for you. And would, would we not settle for anything less except for life with you? and the kingdom of heaven. We pray that that light would shine so brightly, Lord, in our, in, in, in our lives that we'll be able to walk through all of the darkness that we're dealing with here and now. And as we walk through, Lord, would we be able to point others towards that light? We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.